2: um
1: let's do this thing
2: (laughs) you had to think about it huh Uh, yeah one
1: of those days one of those days all right Monday I didn't even know we've got a talk sports today
2: yeah I know tell me about it we've got a lot to get to yes we will hit that topic in rapid fire that'll be coming up in a little bit but first Fill in the blank. The way Notre Dame has used the transfer portal this offseason is blank.
1: The way that Notre Dame has used the transfer portal this season is immaculately um, perfect for the needs that they they have been looking for. Um, In terms of, you know, they needed a quarterback. They needed some holes filled on the defense. They needed, you know, some wide receivers after all the transfers. I just felt like everything – that was done by Marcus Freeman was very deliberate. Everything was, you know, to fill a need. Um, And I felt like that he went out and got everyone out of the portal that was off of his wish list, right? There was no settling. It was who he wanted and he secured them. Um, And I think it's just been immaculate so far.
2: Yeah, I think immaculate's a good word. Mine is amazing because, you know, just what you said, like if you were a pro team and you had to fill holes from a you know from a roster standpoint like if you had to go out in free agency and plug holes if you were a professional team i don't think you could do it any better than what Marcus Freeman and his staff have done you know by by plugging holes and and addressing specific needs via the portal you lose the most experienced one of the most experienced quarterbacks in college football history and you go out and you get Maybe not the most, probably one of the most high-profile quarterbacks that were available on the market. A guy who, before Notre Dame's game in, what, late September, people were talking about as a first-round draft pick. They get Riley Leonard. They get a defensive end. They get a trio of wide receivers. Now, one of them, Jaden Harrison, he's a wide receiver. You know, like, technically, he's mostly going to be a kickoff return man. But then they also go out and they get a couple of defensive backs in Jordan Clark and Rod Hurd from uh, Arizona State and Northwestern, respectively. And they get a kicker in Mitch Jeter. And, uh, you know, third straight year, they have added a kicker three out of the last four years. They've gone out and, and got a quarterback. But you know like RJ Oben I, I don't think you can overlook him at all for the potential impact that he's going to have but again they had specific needs they went out and addressed them and it's it's it really is pretty amazing how they've been able to get you know there there's there are some players who are maybe a little bit more question marked than others you know depending on what position they're coming into but for the most part like these guys what probably 80 85% of these guys are expected to come in into vital roles and be starters and produce next fall. So it is it really is pretty amazing what they've been able to do with the portal. They really they really upped it a notch after last year. And I still think that Sam Hartman with the high profile that he had and what he how he was able to raise his profile and what he did with NIL, I think that had a big impact on these guys. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I do think that it uh, it did have a big impact. And, you know, I, I think that a lot of people question the appeal that Notre Dame has um, in terms of its competitors in the NIL and, and, you know, the that sort of landscape. And I feel like Marcus Freeman has made, made it very well known that Notre Dame can compete with the best of them because they're going out and getting some of these top players at each position in the transfer portal, right? And so if there was a big concern um, about, you know, the NIL potential. I don't think that there should be any. And I think Marcus Freeman also does a good job of, of, you know, how the complete package looks, right? Like you often, if you're coming into Notre Dame, you are probably taking, you know, a step up. Like Sam Hartman came here because he wanted to get more exposure and potentially go to the NFL. I think that holds true for a lot of transfers. Um, and then the second part is, you know, you sell them on the education that you can get at Notre Dame as well. And then you combine that with sure. what NIL money that they can give. And so I think Marcus Freeman is a master kind of salesman in the complete package of what Notre Dame is, but I don't think the NIL is ever going to be a limiting factor of why someone doesn't want to come to Notre Dame.
2: Nope, not at all. Not at all. And that's not something that I think most people were saying a year ago, that NIL was not going to be a limiting factor. I think it was the complete opposite, obviously. And again, I think just one year and one high-profile quarterback I really think that, that Sam Hartman has played a big part in that, you know, the impact of that.
1: We're
0: driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast.
2: So besides Riley Leonard, let's leave him out of the equation. Which of the incoming transfers do you most want to see in action? Um,
1: So to me, it came down to like defensively and offensively. I would say overall, the <laughs> oh, number one yeah. person that I'd I want to see. I guess there are see, special
2: teams there too, but uh, sorry, go yeah, ahead.
1: Yeah, so like I, overall, the number one person I want to see uh, is the Duke defensive end, RJ Oban, because I think that the defensive end slash Viper, basically the edge defensive positions are going to be kind of the big question marks at Notre Dame's de- on Notre Dame's defense this season. I think the linebackers, the interior linemen, and the secondary will all, you know, figure themselves out. You have a lot of returning pieces. You have a lot of, you know, and you're combining that with um, some portal pieces here and there. But the edge and Viper, they don't have a, a a dude yet that you know is guaranteed going to be your your dominant pass rusher a guy who's probably going to lead the team in sacks, pressures, all those important edge rushing stats. And so I think I'm most excited to see him because I think he can be that, that difference maker on the defensive side. And when you have a good rush, it just makes everything else behind him a lot easier. It makes everyone else's job a lot easier.
2: Yeah, I, I definitely can't disagree with him. I think that when you lose Javante Jean-Baptiste and – you know, they got more out of Javante John Baptiste, I think, than maybe they could have even expected, or maybe they got what they expected, but more than externally, I think we expected. And now you get RJ Oben and you plug him into that spot. And I think that there's there's a legitimate expectation that the production is even going to go up a year. And kudos to both Al Washington, the defensive line coach, and Al Golden. For what they were able to get out of that defensive line and when you've got those interior guys coming back that's going to help as well i'll go the offensive route though and i'm going to cheat a little bit and i'm just going to say Bo collins and chris mitchell the two <laughs> receivers and maybe you can throw Jaden harrison in there as well even though again i think i think his biggest role is going to be as a kickoff returner but you're bringing in what did they need they needed more experience from a wide receiver standpoint you know especially considering the departures that they had at that position they had to improve that room they did it one by saying goodbye to one wide receivers coach and then two bringing in another receivers coach and mike brown and now you add these two guys there is going to be some question that you know because like they have experience you know collins in the acc Obviously, and he, you know, he's kind of got this long, like, like, uh, love for Notre Dame, it seems like. Chris Mitchell, you bring him in, you know, even more production than Bo Collins, but it's it at FIU, you know, again, like, how does that translate going from a group of five to a power five, you know, position? Like, with Kane Madden on the offensive line a couple of years ago, and they brought him in for Marshall, that didn't work out that well. Now, that's that's an interior offensive lineman you know so like the physicality is different but for Mitchell what's it going to look like coming up a step and then pairing him with Riley Leonard a new quarterback as well and a new offensive coordinator and Mike Denbrock so a lot of questions but I'm really excited to see those two guys in action and just how they pair up with Riley Leonard and how they compare to some of this young talent that is already on the Notre Dame roster you know and just what they're able to do
1: yeah, so offensively you kind of took my thunder power. Chris Mitchell was going to be my guy and it was going to be specifically how does 64 receptions, 100, you know, 1100 yards and seven touchdowns translate into Notre yep. Dame's offense? How do you replicate uh that sort of production at a higher level? But um I I think that it's easier for skill position guys to make a transition, quite honestly, uh cuz it's a, more about your precision, your route running, your footwork and everything like that. It hasn't your hands. Yeah, your hands. It doesn't really, and and we already know he's a fast guy, so I don't think it, it really comes down to you know like like you were bringing up that offensive lineman. It's it's one thing if you're going against 250 pound interior lineman compared to 300 325 pound interior mm-hmm. lineman, and so you can get outmatched physically. But I don't think Chris Mitchell is going to struggle with with that because his game is more of the finesse. You know, your hands, your speed, your cutting, that sort of stuff, and that's that's mainly more intangibles. Can it be sharpened? Sure. But it's predominantly there. And so it's just a matter of how they mix that in to Riley Leonard's game and how Denbrock wants to utilize him. And I think he's going to be a common guy going in motion a lot, you know, a guy that you move around the field. And if you watched a lot of playoffs or if you've watched a lot of these, you know, offenses, look at Michigan did in the national championship. They almost motioned two times before they would snap the ball. So it's a big part of it. And I, I, I expect him to fill that role a lot of moving around the field.
2: College football writer Stuart Mandel from The Athletic says he thinks that even players who are on teams that are in the playoffs are going to opt out before their team is done playing because the championship game isn't until late January. In other words, you're going to start the playoffs because these different levels of the playoffs now expanding to 12. You're going to start in mid-December. You're going to run through late January, and he thinks some guys are ultimately going to drop off because of their draft status. Do you buy or sell that?
1: I sell that, um, actually, because, you know, at the the college level, guys only want to play when there's a national championship on the line, right? Like, that's the whole reason um, of playing. And I don't think – as long as there is still the opportunity that a team can make the national championship or they're playing to get to the national championship – I don't buy it at all. I think it's, it's, you're going to see guys playing no matter what. But, you know, outside of the top 12, sure, I think it's just going to be exactly what, you know, we've seen. But that wasn't the question at hand. The question is, are any of these guys, you know, on these, amongst these 12 teams going to be opting out because maybe they're a 12 or going against a one or, you know, whatever it might be. But I just don't buy it. I still think that these, a lot of these guys want to to compete at the at the college level it's just when there's nothing to compete for outside of a random right. bowl game that's when you're going to see the guys opt out. Yeah, I mean obviously if a
2: guy like injures his foot or sprains a knee or whatever then you know maybe yeah, he starts Yeah, he's like 50/50 50, 50, 50 going way. into
1: the game questionable, you know, pre-existing right. injuries, but a completely but like, Look at player. Dylan Johnson. Yeah. Look at Johnson for Washington,
2: the running back. You know, like not, not, not everybody's going to be him, but at the same time, here's a guy who was injured. He ended up declaring for the draft, but he wanted to keep playing because he wanted to help his team win a national championship. And I, so I completely agree with what you're saying. I mean, you're seeing so many opt-outs because the games in you know, like you're. I, I think if anything, you're going. It's going to be the complete opposite. It's not going to be guys who are in the playoffs opting out just because there are a few more rounds you know, and, and games to be played in the playoffs. It's, it's going to be everybody else who is not one of the 12 teams in the playoffs. That's where more opt-outs are going to come in because the games obviously don't mean anything. They don't mean nearly as much as the playoff games. So I think if you're in the playoffs, most of those guys are, you know, they want to win a national championship and it's going to help their ultimate draft stock as well by going up against better competition In the playoffs and sort of proving themselves, they are going to be guys, you know, who are maybe you know bubble first, second round type guys. And if they prove themselves against some of that better competition, I think they only stand to raise their stock. So, I I, like. Am I going to say that nobody is going to opt out in those cases? No, but I I just think it's going to be so minuscule that it's it's going to be a blip, basically. I I don't think you're going to see any of your top end type guys opt out of those situations by any means all right jess we've come to the point in the show where (laughs) people who are sick of hearing dallas cowboy talk i guess can relish in the fact (laughs) that they lost they can hear us you know drown in our misery and hope that the talk gets you know less and less they're out of the playoffs now so there's there's at least for a little while less to talk about, but it is the day after the Cowboys got embarrassed at home by the Green Bay Packers in the wild card round, the first round of the playoffs. So I ask you, Jesse, what should the Cowboys' next move be?
1: Oh, it's it's so hard to say. I've tried not to think about this or talk about this to be honest with you. Because, like, it, I just don't know how much it really matters at the end of the day. Um, because I think a culture around this team has been set by the owner, and to me, I don't it's a very with that. I just feel like it's a very privileged kind of prima donna, not tough culture. There's nothing earned in Dallas. You get to Dallas, and a lot yeah. of things are given to you. Yep. And I don't know what replacing a head coach is going to do, but you have to fire the head coach and the defensive coordinator. Really. I think everyone's on the table for firing except about nine players. And I'll give you those nine players very quickly. I'll see if you agree with them. Um, I think CD lamb is on that list. Zach Martin is on that list. Tyler Smith is on that list. Tyron Smith is on that list. Um, And then if you go over defensively, I think Mike is on that list. Um, Deron Bland is on that list. Trevion Diggs is on that list. Demarcus Lawrence is on that list. Yeah, yeah. Demarcus Lawrence is on that list. And then my last right. player, and this is controversial, but I don't think Dak is, I'm sorry. I think Dak is on that list. I know he didn't play well. Um, I would put
2: Brandon Aubrey on the list though.
1: There you well. go. There you go. So a nice round right. top 10, right? Yeah. And so that Dak, those are my Dak ten is players. a big
2: question to me. Dak is a big question to me because to me... I've seen enough of Dak. This is eight years now. And he just got outplayed by a guy making his first career playoff start. Jordan Love and CJ Stroud in their first career playoff starts each now have half as many playoff wins as Dak Prescott has. Yeah.
1: And that's that's
2: troubling to me because after eight years, you know what you've got in the guy. The biggest problem with him is he's owed 60 million bucks next year. So you can't, there's, you know, you, you can't just write that off. There's a huge salary cap hit, even if they tried to get rid of him. Like, there's just nothing you can do with him other than extend him and hope that you can pay less.
1: Yeah, and I get what you're saying. But in terms of yesterday, I feel like the split goes 33% Dan Quinn, 33% Mike McCarthy, and 33% Dak. And the, and the reason why I say Mike McCarthy is the whole team played bad. Again, no They didn't have the mentality of a tough team. And that falls on your head coach if you don't have the mentality that you're going to come out and play tough. And then defensively, you know, I just don't understand what Dan Quinn did. It feels like he sold out. Um, They were a man team that brought pressure all season long. And now all of a sudden we're going to drop into zone and drop Micah Parsons into coverage on third and longs. That's really your answer. And then they're playing light boxes with underside safeties and 12 personnel. Like, what do you think is going to happen? No adjustments were made the entire game. And it's like, you know, even if Dak had a day, (laughs) they couldn't stop the Packers defensively. I don't know how much it really, you know, would have mattered at the end of the day. And so that's why I just, you got to get rid of everyone. And here's a stat I saw going back from when Dan Quinn was head coach at Atlanta. He had Mike McDaniels, Matt LaFleur, and Kyle Shanahan on his staff. He is 0-6 against both of those guys when they're head coaches, they're passing around the code book on how to beat Dan Quinn. They all know how to do it. They know the holes in his defense. And so it's embarrassing. I don't know if he got caught up in all this head coach talk that he didn't want to, you know, actually sit down and think how to game plan this week, but it was an embarrassment on offense. And then, yeah, you know, sorry, defensively, I would say,
2: I would say Dak Prescott is the Ian book of the NFL, you know, like, struggle against the good teams, you feast on the bad teams. But really though that's the whole organization at this point because you can throw Dan Quinn in there as well. Like getting bludgeon, you know, the game was over when it was 14 to nothing. And I texted oh, you yeah. as much. And I wasn't I, I wasn't just you know like
1: frustrated You've seen at that it before. Point
2: because yeah that's the game plan that Green Bay wanted is what they got. Get out to a multi-score lead and then Dak Prescott starts pressing Mike McCarthy has no answers for it. Dan Quinn had no answers for it. Like, I think we were both sweating. Like, at, at some point, we knew Dan Quinn was probably going to move on and become a head coach. And, and, like, what he's done with the defense the last few years, it's like, you know, we were really worried about it. But after yesterday, when you fold your tent like that, you know, you get bludgeoned. You're, you're right about the entitlement. The Cowboys are a soft team. And I don't Not mean that. Tough. Yeah, and I don't mean that everyone across the board is soft. Like some of the players, you know, that that you mentioned are the guys that I want, but they're wasting careers out there. They're wasting Zach Martin's career. Right. They're going to waste Micah Parsons' career. All these others, Tyron Smith on down the line, they're wasting careers because look what happens. And it doesn't matter who you know the head coach is once they get to the playoffs. Look what happens. They're all the soft. Tenfolds. Yeah, they're all soft. And I, I think. I think you you nailed it. We've talked about it before. It starts from the very top on down. The entitlement starts with the owner. And there is not enough internal accountability. But that's why, like, Jim Harbaugh just interviewed with the Chargers today. Personally, I would fire McCarthy. And I would, like everyone's talking about Belichick, Jim Harbaugh would be my first call. Because Jim Harbaugh, look at the stops that he has made. Completely turned around a program at stanford that was not a traditional winner got them winning went to san francisco an organization that had been down before he got there gets him to the super bowl and look at what he just did at michigan again a program you know his alma mater that was down just won a national championship but it starts with the team building with jim harbaugh but it is not just you know it's there's accountability but there is also physicality and they are, they are not just, you know, they're not just soft from a hard hitting standpoint that they are, but, you know, I think that that's something that Jim Harbaugh has shown that he would turn as well. But, you know, they're, they're just, they're they're physically not there. They're fundamentally not there. And that's what bugs me about Mike McCarthy. They're the, they were the highest scoring offense in the NFL. They won 12 games, but they're also the most penalized team in the NFL. Those things don't go together, you know, to win that many games, it just shows again, how much they feasted, I think on some bad teams. And then they, you know, just get stuck, you know, like they drafted Mozzie Smith in the first round last year, supposed to help their run defense. Did it help? No, it didn't. So I would go after Hawbaugh because they need that mentality change. You know, how much, how much he can change things with an owner like Jerry Jones. I don't know, but you know, like I would roll the dice on either Belichick or Harbaugh. Harbaugh, I keep leaving out his R. I would take either one of them because of the, you know, the things that I just listed. I think either one of those guys can change that. I guarantee you at the very minimum, if you have either one of those guys, you know, Belichick, you know, you want to talk about him specifically, they're going to be a much better fundamentally sound team with him Mm -hmm. and like He needs an experienced quarterback. You would have that in Dak. I think either one, you know, like look at the reputation Harbaugh has in terms of coaching quarterbacks. I think either one of those guys, if you're going to get the most out of Dak Prescott, either one of those guys could do it. So Harbaugh would be my first call. Belichick would be my second. But to me, McCarthy has got to go because you, you can't win all these regular season games and just completely fold your tent like that in the playoffs.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's had – listen, Jerry Jones and the and the team has done their job. They've drafted ample enough amount of players for Notre Dame – or sorry, for the Cowboys to win with, and that's the frustrating part. Like you said, they're just wasting away CeeDee Lamb, Micah Parsons, these guys as primes, and over three years, yeah, 12 wins a season is great, but it's all the same outcome, first-round departures in the playoffs, right? Or I mean, okay, they won a game last year against the Buccaneers, but then lost, but still – it's still the common denominator of losing. And so all the talent is there. And I actually have to apologize for all the Lions fans out there that I, I talked a lot of crap about because I would love if Dan Campbell was the coach of the Cowboys because you would too. see half of this crap that's been going on. They'd be so much tougher. And that's the thing. Mike McCarthy is weak in he's, the trenches. And he's from Texas. He was a Dallas Cowboy. Right. You know, He's weak in the trenches. And that's where it's more, simpo- more most important right and that's what you talked about with Harbaugh how does Harbaugh win he sets the mentality of we're going to smash you in the mouth we're going to be physical we're going to run that ball that's something that Mike McCarthy has not been able to establish and it shows it showed offensively on the offensive line and defensively on the defensive line there's just no toughness on this team um, at at all and so you have to get rid of everyone and reset the culture of we're going to be a tough team nothing in Dallas is given anymore you have to earn that star you have to earn the right, and I don't know if you watched the halftime show, but I mean, look at how mad Jimmy Johnson was. He knows as a head coach that that's not what this team should be playing like, and it's just ever since they got rid of Jimmy Johnson, they have not had anyone in there that that's, has set a culture of we're going to be tough, and that's that's really yeah. all it comes down to. Parcells,
2: Parcells just wasn't there long enough, you know. Like he he started to set it, the culture was changing then, but it, you know, you you went from Parcells, you know, again, it's like you were going to have some pushback against the owner. You know, Jerry Jones wasn't going to completely get his way, but they went from that, Wade Phillips, and, you know, we know how that went, you know, Jason Garrett after that. You're, you know, you're absolutely, you know, like, let's uh, let's go draft Audrick Estime and change our mentality and say we're going to be a hard-nosed, physical, rabbit at your football team. Oh, by the way, we've got C.D. Lamb. We can throw it downfield as well. There right. are things that we can do. Well, it's just
1: to me, the last thing I'll say about this game is (laughs) you could see C.D. Lamb's body language in those first couple drives was bad because, one, that's all they wanted to talk about. But, two, I think there's more to it. I think that they went through this script during the week, and C.D. Lamb said, we've been a pass-first team this entire season, and now all of a sudden in this script we're going to start running the ball on first and second down, get it behind the chains as we're already losing when we know that's Mm -hmm. not the spot Dak needs to be in at home. And so if, instead of giving, you know, our all-pro quarterback the ability to throw to our all-pro wide receiver, we're going to hand off to the guy that's averaging 60 yards a game and hasn't done anything all season. It's just it's actually mind-blowing. And so when CD Lamb was pissed, it had to be the reason of why are we going back to this? I thought we we said we weren't going to do this after the bye week anymore. And so right. to me it was a clear reading of body language of this offense is supposed to go through me, not Tony Pollard on first and second down. This offense is t- my offense.
2: Tony Pollard is not a lead running back and he's a free agent this off season. So he's Let probably, I don't see there's, I don't see there's any way you can pay him. He's not a lead back, you know, like he was a good, he was a good change of pace running back when they had Zeke Elliott. He's not a lead back. He showed that this year. They've got to have someone with a, you know, with, with just a, you know, a different kind of, again, physicality. You've got to have a different body type back there to be able, you know, to, to lean on Tony Pollard. Was not that guy. I like Tony Pollard. You know, he's done a good job.
1: A great which, complimentary back.
2: Yeah. Great complimentary guy. To your point about Jimmy John, I wish I would have seen that because I heard people talking about it today. I, I need to see if I can find it online somewhere. Here's what I did when it was after it became 21 to nothing. Uh, I watched a little bit of a Seinfeld episode <laughs> and then I kind of cooled down for a little bit. I flipped it back, second playback. Pick Guess six. what happened? Pick 6, 27, <laughs> nothing. Um I watched Top Gun Maverick for the next 2 hours and never flipped, you know, I picked up my phone and looked at the score every once in a while <laughs> thinking, well, if by some miracle I'll come back, it 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 wasn't happening. Cuz you know, the last time, remember a few years back when they lost to Aaron Rodgers and the Packers at home, they were getting they blown out big. early and I had a feeling that they were going to come back and make a game of it. But and essentially what I thought would happen happened. They would come back and make a game of it, but ultimately the Packers would pull it out in the end. And that was exactly what it, I yeah, didn't I mean, have they, that feeling about yesterday's game at all.
1: No. And I I, I the, la- the very la- I promise this is the last thing, but you know it's bad yeah. when, when Michael Irvin and Emmett Smith are posting videos on Twitter afterwards talking about how embarrassing that loss was those are guys that know how to win you know and those are guys who are just visually frustrated and are echoing a lot of the same things of the guys in front of them are are what paved the way for the cowboys the the last two decades everything has been like handed to the cowboys and they want the result of what's happened before them but they're not willing to put in the effort and the time and the toughness that it takes they have that that irvin that smith that aikman that That Pearson put all those guys in, right? It's just not the same anymore. And so until that culture gets fixed, nothing's gonna get nothing's gonna change.
2: I get like yesterday, that's the difference between being watching a game as a fan and a media member. Because as a fan, I can change the channel. I can go do something else. If I'm you know, if I'm <laughs> covering Notre trip. Dame, I can't go anywhere. I gotta sit there through you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So it's a lot different. It was just very very frustrating. Congratulations, though, to Lions fans, DK and the rest of the Lions fans out there. Congratulations to them. That and is pretty cool. That game. Yeah, they get to they get to host another game now, which the Cowboys could have been doing if they had won yesterday. Are you pulling? Is like, are the Lions? Are you pulling for them the rest of the playoffs? Do you have a team? Do you care? Um, because the Browns are kind of your, you know, your second team since you lived there in Cleveland, and they blew their game. As well, are are you pulling for anyone the rest of the playoffs now? Yeah,
1: I'd be I'd be rooting for the Lions just because they haven't had they've had minimal success. And like I said, I'm I'm actually at the end of the day I'm jealous of of Dan Campbell and what he's been able to establish there. And that's kind of who the type. If there's a mold for what I'm longing for at the head coach position, it's Dan Campbell, and so that's the guy I got to root for. I mean, I remember saying
2: last year toward the end of the season because they just you know they didn't make the playoffs, but it's hard not to like those Dan Campbell Lions, man. I mean, when you look at where they've come from and to, you know, to win a freaking home playoff game for the first time in more than three decades and hardly ever even being in the playoffs for three decades, it's pretty awesome to be where they are. And hats off to Jared Goff as well, because he was the cast off in that trade. And he got the, you know, to beat the team, the coach, the guy they traded him for, you know, the whole thing all in one. So that's pretty cool. Do you buy or sell the NFL's decision to move the Bills Steelers game from Sunday to this Monday afternoon due to the weather of the
1: weekend? Uh, I sell the NFL's decision just, just because, and I'll try to be quick about this one. You know, the bills are going, they they're going to be rebuilding a new stadium. And that new stadium is not a dome. And so if you are not a dome stadium and you know geographically where you are, I don't think that there should be any excuses. And I understand that the, the concern had to do with travel and how fans and the other say, team were going to get there. I think it has there. more
2: to do with that. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah, but I get that. But here's the thing. I don't and, – and maybe something I, – I, I'm not thinking about something properly. But if I was a head coach and I knew inclement weather was supposed to be happening – I would get there before the day before I'd actually get there maybe a day or two early, get settled in and maybe run an outside practice because that's where you're going to be playing in. And so that's a whole nother issue. I don't like how these teams get there. And I know it's part of their schedule and routine and all that stuff. But I don't like the idea of getting there just the day before because stuff like this happens. Right. Like the the Bills won home field advantage for a reason. And you play in a non dome stadium for a reason. And so you should be stuck with the consequences of whatever that weather is at the end of the day.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I think it was the right move. You, you know, again, it's like, okay, they played in cold weather in Kansas City, but there wasn't, you know, an active blizzard going on when that was happening.
0: Well, I don't know Kansas if you saw, City. but the Chiefs you have know. that
1: really nice underground system that heats up their field as yeah. well. And yeah, I think that should do. be something that's a part of every outdoor stadium. If, if you know that there's potential for snow like this in the in the wintertime, every stadium should be equipped with that that heating system underneath the field. Again, I, I think
2: it I, I I do believe him when I say that it had more to do with their travel. I did see, you know, an all-time bad tweet over the weekend, you know, oh, they didn't cancel D-Day because of weather. And then <laughs> it was corrected at the bottom. D-Day actually was delayed by a day because of the weather. Watch Band of Brothers, my friend. I think it's episode two. It's either episode two or three. Literally, they had to move back D-Day by a day because there was fog. You know, and and, uh, heavy, you know, waves and all that kind of stuff going on in the English channel. They did actually delay D-Day because of the weather. I think it's Day of Days might be the name of that episode of Band of Brothers. But watch that. Get your your quick history lesson on that. Fill in the blank. It's blank that NBC says the Chiefs Dolphins Peacock only streaming game, streaming only game Saturday night had an audience of 23 million.
1: It's impressive because if you remember to our show on Friday I was around I think 25 million might be the number that they hit at and for and that's that is for you know 25 million was a, for a prediction based off of you know the game being on NBC or CBS or Fox type network right and, and a channel that everyone gets but when you're exclusively on peacock I think 23 million is is impressive when you roll the dice and we're willing to take the risk that people were going to find a way to watch that, you know, to get Peacock, right? And so they doubled down on themselves. Everyone called them stupid, but it turned out to be, I'm pretty sure, one of their most profitable days. And so, I mean, if you really were doubting it, you shouldn't have watched it because it only works with the viewers watch on Peacock.
2: It's the NFL, baby. And it was arguably, you know, the, the, the most desirable game of the weekend. Maybe Cowboys Packers was supposed to be, and they got up over 40 million, I think you know, even in a in a blowout. But, you know, you've got the defending Super Bowl champs, one of the biggest stars. You've got the pop star, you know, up in the press box and the suite and the whole thing. You know, it it just boggles my mind that people keep, you know, like going at her when all she's literally doing is watching her boyfriend play football. But that's another story. (laughs) But, you know, like Mike Tirico, you know, they they made him read the announcement on the air last night during the the Lions game, talking about milestone moment in media and sports history. And all that. Yeah. I mean, it's scary what the number could have been if it had actually been on broadcast TV, though, because I still know plenty of people who were not able to, you know, like there was still people at the last minute who had no idea it was on Peacock, you know, like friends, you know, back in Kansas on Facebook trying to find the channel and all that kind of they're like, What what uh channel is this on my cable system? Sorry, Bub, it's not on your, you know, most likely not on your cable system. So you know, I think they could have probably been up over, you know, 35, p- pushing 40 million if it had been on regular broadcast. But it is a big number. And, you know, like I said, I told you the other day they'd announced the numbers. If if they were good, they are. It's, it, it's the most streamed, you know, like in, in terms of streaming only, it's better than any Amazon game has done. 15 million plus was the best. That any Amazon game had done. They still haven't announced any of the numbers for those Notre Dame Peacock games, but they announced this one because it was a massive, massive number. Speaking of that game, last question. What did you think of Jason Garrett in the booth? I don't know, like, were you watching and listening or or I don't know where exactly? Yeah, it was interesting because watch? I
1: was like, why is Tirico doing this game with Collinsworth and now he's got to go to Detroit the next day and he's, or sorry, why is he doing the game with Garrett and then the next day he's going to Detroit to do the game with Collinsworth and I was like, man, I guess they're really trying to give Jason Garrett some airtime here, but you know, I I don't I, I don't have anything negative to say. I just think he's there. He's kind of just a guy, right? And I appreciate his consistency. Like he doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low. Um, but again, he he's just he doesn't really add anything in in particular to me. And so he's just and there.
2: that's that's the problem. Like, don't you expect someone who's been a freaking NFL head coach and an NFL quarterback? to give you more, but it's literally just like, you know, Mike Tarico calls the play and then, you know, they show the replay and it's, you know, and it's like, Reed runs this route, you know, like, Oh, he wasn't able to, like, he literally just repeats what he's seeing. He's not actually right. giving you any analysis can, of the what's there, like why it happened or didn't happen. He's just literally recapping the play, you know, on, on, on the screen. That's that's my biggest beef with Jason Garrett like he's got to actually give us some analysis. But to me, he's got so much of that I'm a coach and I'm going to give you clichés in him that you know, he's as of right now just either uh, unwilling or unable to let it out. So that's my thing. All right. Well, that's going to do it. Jesse, appreciate you adapting your schedule today to join us. Vince by the way, Was supposed to be here today, said this at the at the top of the show. He was in Florida with his son at the kicking camp, and then their flight got delayed yesterday. So they're traveling today instead of yesterday. So Vince will be in tomorrow. But appreciate you, Jess, for jumping in. And of course, appreciate Tom Noy earlier in the show for helping out today as well. It's like a little Notre Dame hoop. Jesse, I will talk to you later in the week. Hit the like button on your way out, and of course, subscribe right on the podcast platforms and we will talk to you tomorrow on IB Nation's stuff.